Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that my latest book, Dwell on These Things, is now available in stores and online. The book is a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And if you're up for that kind of challenge, I think you'll find the book helpful. I think now is a great time for us to replace feelings of discouragement with a sense of God's goodness, to practice seeing ourselves in the loving way God sees us, to exchange negative self-talk for gospel-saturated truth, and to learn to face each day with hope in our hearts. There's a link to the book in this episode's description, and if you want to take a sneak peek at the first three chapters, just head over to DesireJesus.com and take a look. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Well, good evening and welcome to our midweek Bible study. We're grateful to have you with us. This week, we're continuing our look at the book of 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 5 this evening, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 12 of 1 John chapter 5 as we talk about the idea of the testimony about Jesus that's given in this portion of Scripture. And we're going to see what the Apostle John happens to say about that testimony. He actually says a variety of things here. And uh, and he uses this as an opportunity to confirm for the reader that what is being spoken of related to Jesus is accurate and has multiple witnesses. And so we're going to be looking at that in just a moment. But just a tiny bit of background here as we get underway, and just like we we have each week as we've been looking through the book of First John, uh, I just want to give you a little bit of background to it if you're unfamiliar with it or if you're joining us midstream. But the book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John around the year 90 from the city of Ephesus before John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And John tried to accomplish multiple things with this letter. He tried to help bolster the faith of believers. He tried to correct false teaching. That was a major issue during the era of the early church. And you also notice when you're working your way through this letter that throughout the course of this letter, and we've seen this in our study here, that John stressed a variety of concepts, and he stresses concepts like having fellowship with God. We've seen as he's brought that up. He also talks about the need for believers to confess our sin, which can be one of the more difficult things that, uh, at least in many of our minds, uh, but it ends up being a very beneficial thing when it's actually practiced, especially if we're trying to overcome sin that has maybe taken some sort of foothold in our mind or in our life. He also talks about the nature of loving God and what it looks like to love one another and even testifies to the fact that the fact that we love one another is visible evidence of the fact that Jesus lives within us, that we truly believe that we are saved. Uh, John talks about this idea of knowing God personally, And he also acknowledges Christ's divinity, and he makes a point to help people understand that Jesus is indeed God in the flesh. Now, in the passage that we're looking at tonight, so again, we're going to be in John chapter, or 1 John chapter 5, uh, starting with verse 6. So 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 6, in this passage, 
the Apostle John teaches us about a variety of ways that we receive confirmation that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And so we're going to be looking at those various forms of confirmation, various forms of testimony, and we're also going to be wrestling with the nature of our own faith, especially when we look at the the last couple verses that we're going to be looking at tonight. So let's jump into that together. And I'm going to start us off with 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, where it speaks about this testimony that's given here. And it's testimony that, that Jesus is who he says he is. The way it's uh, stated here, starting with verse 6, is this. It says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, before we get into the details of this passage, let me state this. This is one of those portions of Scripture that I think sometimes at at our first reading of it, we find ourselves saying, okay, what is meant by this. And so sometimes people debate what you know what did John mean by this? What was he getting at? And so I'm going to give us the most likely explanation for what John is talking about here. It's the explanation that that I think makes the most sense and theologians seem to uh many of them seem to think that this is what John was getting at here. But you, hear, you see John talking about three things when you look at verse 8. He talks about the spirit, the water and the blood. So we're going to talk about all three of these, but let's do it in the order that he initially brings them up when uh, when he starts verse 6. So he says, this is he, so he's speaking of Jesus, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. So let's talk about the water. What does that mean? Well, what many people believe that means when it says, this is he who came by water, uh, many people believe that that's referencing the fact that Jesus was baptized during the course of his earthly ministry by John the Baptist in particular. And if you remember, at the baptism of Jesus, you have a a very interesting event that takes place, because you have God the Father making his presence known, and you have the Holy Spirit making his presence known in that moment as well. And so you actually see the Trinity of God. You see the Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, all three present in that moment. And so where John here is talking about this idea of a testimony, and, um, and testimony can only be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So you see multiple witnesses, even when you think back, to uh, the concept of Christ's baptism. So it seems to, to many theologians to, to be that, that that very well may be what John is referencing here when he's talking about this is he who came by water. But he's also talking about the fact that this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And so in the context there, you have the testimony of the fact that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus shed blood as he was atoning for our sin, that he fulfilled the prophetic uh, revelations, the prophetic uh, word that was given in a variety of places like Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22, 
or other places that indicated the nature of the death that the Messiah would experience. And so here you have John saying, all right, these are things that actually testify that Jesus is indeed who he says he is. You see that confirmation taking place at his baptism. You also see the confirmation and the fulfillment of these things when he shed his blood on the cross. So this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And he says, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So he's saying there's multiple testimonies here. There's multiple things. There's multiple moments that you could look at and say, okay, he is who he says he is. And then he says, and the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Now, we're going to go into more detail about how the Spirit testifies, but in many respects, the Holy Spirit, and we talked about this several weeks ago, the fact that the Holy Spirit Sometimes it seems like he's the forgotten member of the Trinity, and yet the Holy Spirit has an amazing role that you and I are the beneficiaries of. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth. He's pointing us to Jesus. He's helping us understand things that we wouldn't naturally understand. He gives us clarity when we're reading the Scriptures so that we could understand the Scriptures. In fact, uh, I remember when I was a young person, one of my Sunday school teachers at church encouraging me before I read the scriptures to actually take some time to ask God by the power of his spirit to open my eyes to understand the truth. So the spirit of God does that very thing. The Holy Spirit uh, opens up our eyes to the truth. And so here you have the apostle John referencing the Holy Spirit in this passage, and he says, because the spirit is the truth. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just reveal truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth. You could say he is the, the truth personified. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, where is the Spirit testifying? That's the detail we're going to get into in just a moment here. But how is the Spirit testifying, and where is the Spirit testifying? John's going to explain that a little bit further in the coming verses. So I'm going to save that for those coming verses and elaborate on that in just a minute. But again, here he gives three things that testify, and this is what he's saying in verse 7. He says, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. So at the baptism of Christ, you have uh, a visible and audible testimony that Jesus is who he says he is. As you hear the voice of God, and as you see the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descend on Jesus like a dove. And then uh, and then the blood of Christ being shed on the cross, Jesus ultimately giving himself as an atonement for our sin on the cross, fulfilling the prophecies that said that this is what he would do. But then the Spirit of God is also testifying to these truths, and you have the Spirit and the water and the blood in agreement. And so John references that each of these give testimony to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Now let's jump, let's jump to verse 9. And look at the clarification that John gives us here. He says, he talks about the fact that the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of man. And the way he says it here, he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. So he's referencing back the verses we just read from 6, 7, and 8. And here he's saying, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. And it's kind of interesting because when you think about it over the course of your life, there's a lot of things that we believe because we've received the testimony of men. In fact, 
just earlier today, uh, I, and I try and limit my watching of news, especially in the past group of years. I guess it's really been more than just the past few years. It's been quite a, quite a few years. I, I would say even over the past 10 years, I've really tried to limit how much I watch the news. But I was watching a news clip on YouTube earlier today that, that gave a clip of a recent uh, court testimony. And uh, the person was under oath and they were saying certain things. And then the other person was interviewing them and, and reminding them that they were under oath. And in a context like that, we put a lot of weight in a court case in particular on the testimony of men. And uh, we, we tend to think of that as something that is rather important to us. I know that just earlier today, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone who lives in a different state, and he was asking me about some things that had taken place during the course of my day. And it seemed that he believed what I was saying about what took place. Hey, so he was believing my testimony. And as he shared what was going on in his day, I believed his testimony. I had no reason to think that he was saying anything dishonest to me. And most of the time when people tell us things, I would say in general, most of the time, we have a habit of believing people. And here John is saying, look, if we receive the testimony of men, that's one thing. But he's saying, listen, the testimony of God is greater. The testimony of God is greater. So he's pointing back to the verses we just read that reference the, the, the water and the blood and the Spirit. Because in each of those contexts, you have God testifying in one way or another. And John says, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne, concerning his son. So in each of those forms of testimony, you have the father referencing the son and showing us who the son is, so that we wouldn't mistake who the son is, so that we would understand who the son is, so that we would recognize that ultimately life is found in the son. God the father is not trying to keep God the son secret. He's showing him to us. He's revealing him to us. God the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is not trying to keep the Son secret. He's making Him known. He's opening up our eyes and opening up our hearts to see these things. And so often in life, we're so quick to receive the testimony of men, but actually sometimes dismissive of the testimony of God. And here you have John stating that the testimony of God is greater. We tend to receive the testimony of men, but he's saying the testimony of God is greater, and these are the ways that God has given testimony related to his Son. Now, he goes on a little bit further here, and in verse 10, he explains to us that our faith demonstrates what we think about God's nature. So look at what it says here in uh, verse 10 of First John chapter 5. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has, who, excuse me, he says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So now let's think about this verse for a second and let's relate it to uh, the opening verses that we looked at just a few moments ago. Because in the opening verses, we were given three testimonies. We were told of the testimony of the water and the testimony of the blood. But the third testimony we were given in those opening verses related to the Holy Spirit. And I said that in a few moments, we were going to come back to the concept of the work of the Holy Spirit. And here you see in 1 John 5.10, that that's what John is referencing here. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And what John is talking about here is the fact that 
as we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within us. He lives within us. He indwells all believers, and he testifies to truth, not just externally, but he certainly testifies externally as well, but he also is testifying to our heart. He's testifying to us in such a way that we would understand who the Son of God is. And so if we believe in Jesus, we have this testimony in ourselves. We have this testimony living within us. We have the Spirit of God living within us. He lives within us, testifying to the truth. So there's an internal witness that's taking place, confirming truth to your heart and my heart. That's one of the, the, the ministries of the Holy Spirit, where he is doing that for us. But then John also shows us here the reverse. And he tells us, whoever does not believe God has made him out, or has made him a liar. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So again, God has, you know, God the Father has revealed to us through the Spirit, the water, and the blood that Jesus is who he is. But here the Apostle John is saying that if we don't, if we don't believe this testimony, if we don't believe God, the one who has, has made this testimony known to us, we're effectively calling God a liar. We're calling God a liar. We're calling our Creator, the one who is perfect truth, we're calling him a liar if we choose not to believe the testimony that God has made abundantly clear in a variety of ways. So again, sometimes you hear people say, you know, if God would just speak from heaven, (laughs) or if God would just be clearer, or if God would just do something miraculous. And then in the case of Jesus, you have God doing that very list of things, revealing himself, revealing his son in very specific and very obvious ways. And some people in that context believe, but many people did not. And here you you even have the Apostle John addressing that. You know, he's basically saying, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. They're basically saying, God, you're lying. Because God's made it abundantly clear that Jesus is who he says he is. And he's given multiple forms of testimony. So you don't need to just rely on one form of testimony to confirm that Jesus is who he says he is. This is testimony that God the Father has borne concerning his son. And uh, and so you have the Apostle John testifying to that here. He's saying this is, this is something that demonstrates the truth. This is something we should know. We have internal witness through the Holy Spirit, and we have external witness through the water, the blood, and the Spirit operating uh, externally as well. And one other thing here that he brings up, and then we're going to open up for some discussion here. You have the Apostle John talking about this idea of obtaining life. So how is life obtained? So let's look at verses 11 and 12 of 1 John 5. Here he says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us. So again, he's revisiting this thought of testimony, of this this theme of testimony working its way through. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life life. So how is life obtained? Well, life is obtained through the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And there's testimony in this as well, right? As John is saying here, he says, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. This life is in his Son. So so this eternal life 
that we've been blessed with is another form of ongoing testimony. This new life that we've been granted through Christ, it's like we're we're going through our day-to-day as living testimonies of the fact that life is found in Jesus Christ. We have new life. We're living out this life. I love when it talks about eternal life. Sometimes people think of eternal life as something that's yet future. For those of us in Christ, your eternal life has already begun. I'm already living my eternal life. And God, and so, you know, as I live this eternal life, as I demonstrate the presence of Christ in my day-to-day life right now and for eternity, uh, that's a form of testimony. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. I have life in Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus, you have life in Christ. And in fact, in verse 12, John says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So he's drawing a very stark line. He's saying, if you are to have life, if you're going to have life, that's only going to come to you through the Son. And so you have you have the Lord testifying to this because he wants people to know this truth. And he says, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You're not going to find life anywhere else. And I think it's interesting when you look at that verse, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's an interesting verse to contemplate because there are many people in this world that are trying to find their deepest level of satisfaction through something other than Jesus. They're trying to find what will bring peace and satisfaction to their soul through things that have no eternal benefit or will not last in any eternal way. But yet for us, those of us who have the Son, we realize that if we have Jesus, we have everything we need. We have everything we need for life and godliness right now. We have everything we need for the future. We have everything we truly need. There are all sorts of interesting things in this world. There are all sorts of things that we enjoy. I know my family knows that for a long time here, I, I was saving up to uh, to update my car. I've been driving the same car for 14 years, and so I saved up and, and was really looking forward to updating that car. And I got to tell you, I have a lot of fun driving that car. I probably talk about it too much because it's still in that fun phase. But, you know, I look at it and I think to myself, okay, this is fun, but I'm glad this isn't all that my life is wrapped up in. I'm glad this isn't all that I'll ever have. I'm glad that this isn't what I was trying to base my level of satisfaction in, because the truth is that car, I mean, I just had to wash it. It got dirty and it got covered in bugs. I'm looking at one of the, uh, one of the wheels and, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's, it's missing the cap that goes over the uh, air valve. I got to get a new cap for that. And then I'm thinking, oh, I got to, I got to arrange for an inspection for this car sometime soon because the temporary tags on it are going to expire soon. And I look at that and I'm thinking, all right, this is a thing that gets dirty. It breaks and uh, it takes ongoing maintenance. It takes work. So yeah, I enjoy it, but it doesn't satisfy me on the deepest levels that, that only Christ can. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. But if we have the son, we have life not just fun things, not just useful things. We have life. And I think that that's particularly useful too, especially you know when you think about some of the things that some of us have had to deal with in recent months or in recent years. I'm grateful for the fact that when hard seasons come, I can look to a verse like this and remember that I already have everything I need because I have Jesus. And I already have everything I could have ever wanted because I have Jesus. There's no earthly thing that's going to satisfy my heart like him. And because I trust in him, I have him. 
and I have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he opens my eyes to see things that I would not have naturally seen. And I'm able to value things like he values things and see people like he sees people. It's just wonderful. I'm just so grateful for the new life that I have in Christ. And I have to say, those of us that are on the call here in a moment, we'll be chatting about these things. But if you're listening to this via the podcast or maybe watching this on video, I want you to wrestle with that. Just wrestle with where you're trying to find great satisfaction for your soul, where your heart is trying to find satisfaction. Is your heart convinced that that it could be satisfied through anything less than Jesus? Because when you look at this verse here, when you look at 1 John 5, verse 12, it tells us here that if you want life, there's one way to find life. If you want abundant, eternal life, that life is only obtained one way, and that's through Jesus. And if you don't have him, you don't have life. All you have are distractions or creature comforts, but you don't have life. But if you have Christ, you have life. And I love that John is testifying that to us there, because it's something that our hearts should latch on to. We need to trust in Jesus Christ if we're going to receive the, the life that he offers us as a gift. And that life that he offers us does not disappoint. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to bring us all up on screen here. We're going to chat about these things. If you're listening to us via the podcast, I want to make known to you a resource that I recently put together. It's my latest book. It's called Dwell on These Things. It's a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. I know one of the things that I wrestle with all the time is I'm always preaching. I'm always teaching. And I want to make sure that the message that I'm preaching and teaching my own heart lines up with what Scripture actually says. And so I put together a book called Dwell on These Things that's really designed to take you through the course of a month where you speak those truths as you look at what Scripture says and how to apply those Scriptures to your heart. But you speak those truths to your heart as a way to remind you of the things that the Lord's communicated to us in His Word. And we try to Uh, ultimately get to the spot where our mind is dwelling on these things like we're encouraged to do in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. So I'd encourage you to grab a copy if you haven't had a a chance to take a look at it yet. And if you want to read the first three chapters for free, just stop over to desirejesus.com. The publisher allowed me to put those up there. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. I know that they have certain copyright things that they have to be sensitive to, but I was able to put a few chapters of it up on my website for free. So I hope that you'll check it out, desirejesus.com, where you can find the book, Dwell on These Things. And uh, at this point now, I'm going to stop my screen share and I'm going to bring our guests up on the screen here. And I see the group of us here. I see that Don Kaler joined us here as well. So I'm glad to have you here, Don. And we've got Tim and we've got Hannah. We've got Andrea. We've got Renee. We've got Ian. So it's good to have everybody here representing a variety of places. Um, Many of us on the East Coast, one of us from the great state of Hawaii. That's always entertaining to me to just be able to spend so much time here while we're essentially on the other side of the world from each other practically. Um, but I have a few questions for us as uh, as we think about this portion of Scripture, because I think that the way this Scripture reads, I think that many of us could probably look at this and start scratching our head and think, what what is some of this talking about? So let's make this very applicable, and I'd love to hear from you guys what you think and some of the things that stand out to you from this passage. But first of all, uh, let's talk about the in, in, the inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit, because that's one of the things that we experience as a benefit through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'd love to hear your thoughts 
on how does the inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit help direct you toward truth and open your eyes. And notice when I speak of the Spirit of God, I don't speak of him as it, because that would be the same as calling Jesus it, or God the Father it, right? That sounds offensive, you know? If, uh, you know, if I referred to Ian as it, Renee, I'm assuming you would probably not like that. You'd be like, hey, that's very insulting. But how many times do we as believers refer to the Holy Spirit as it? And I wonder if he's like, um, you, you know, I'm not an it, right? I'm not just, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm a person, you know? So um, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's not just the power of God. He's not just uh, some sort of force or something like that. He is a person. And he indwells, and he counsels, and he comforts, and he does all sorts of things for us like that. And uh, Scripture tells us that his in his inward dwelling of believers matters. So, how does his inward dwelling help direct you toward truth? And how does his inward dwelling help open your eyes to see things that you wouldn't have naturally seen? Anyone have a testimony about that? Yeah, Ian. Ian, who is calling it because you're very much a person. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Uh, I think it's, it's probably a little bit difficult to explain, but um, I find that, uh, especially uh, on reading scripture, um, uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, is guiding my discernment and determining uh, the truth in the scripture and um, using that structure of scripture to discern truth in all aspects of life. And uh, being able to uh, discern false and true doctrine as well. I know I've, I've come across uh, many times different um, interpretations of the Bible, and I can always uh, uh, tell through the Spirit what, what is, uh, what's not driving with the, the, the Scripture. Isn't that fantastic? That's a great example. I'm glad you brought that up. The idea of being able to um, differentiate between good doctrine and bad doctrine. You ever find yourself either listening some, to something or reading something or watching something, and you could just, it's almost like you, you just tell internally something is up here. I even remember when I was a brand new Christian, even before I, I uh, had really spent ample time studying the word, I can remember there being times where I could, even before I knew the scriptures like I do now, I I can remember the Holy Spirit helping me discern truth and error. And uh, and then, thankfully, in time, he gave me the opportunity to study the Scriptures and have other people, you know, pour into my life to help me understand the Scriptures. But I love the fact that he does that for us, that he helps us discern right doctrine and false doctrine. And that's definitely something that was on the Apostle John's mind, because he was trying to help the early believers understand that as well. And who was inspiring the Apostle John to write these things down? Scripture says that it's the Holy Spirit who does that, right? He's the one who does that. So even as we read the Scriptures, what are we doing? We're reading something directly inspired by the Spirit of God. So, cool. Some other thoughts about the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. How have you seen him operate in your life? Anyone else want to chime in on that? Yeah, Andrea. I think I've also, I also see him sometimes help me discern the truth, even from my own internal false narrative. Like when, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm, 
prone to either be telling myself the wrong thing or um, be prone to like flying with the feeling, you know, instead of, you know, maybe, and I, you know, the Holy Spirit helps us uh, ground ourselves back to the truth that God gives us. I love that. How many of the rest of us would testify to him doing that for us as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any other um, testimony that, that any of us have related to the internal witness of the Holy Spirit? So I, I have a, a little question. What, how, do you, how do you discern when it's just intuition and when it's the Holy Spirit? How do you I, think I, that? Yeah, that seems like that seems fuzzy, right? You know, in, in some respects are subjective. But he, here's how um, I think there's a couple ways that we can be discerning there. First of all, the Spirit of God is not going to ever counsel us in a way that's out of line with Scripture, right? So uh, sometimes I've heard people use the Holy Spirit as an excuse for doing something unscriptural, where they'll they'll say, you know, the, the Holy Spirit just kind of indicated to me that I should do this or do this, and then you discover that what they're, they're saying they should do, they're basically just blaming God for their poor choices. So I think I think in one respect, holding up everything that we're claiming is uh, a work of the Spirit to what Scripture actually says is a good way to to confirm that the truth is something that we've been experiencing. But I also know another way that that the Holy Spirit has confirmed to my heart that what He is saying is true is also through other believers and the testimony of other believers, uh, where People have either challenged me on certain things that I was thinking. I remember, I'll give you an example of this in my own life. There was an area of doctrine, and I won't go into the area of doctrine that it was, but when I was, I was still a relatively new Christian, I would say, when I started attending Bible college. I mean, I was a few years deep into my relationship with the Lord there, but I was still relatively new with some of these things. And I remember uh, one of my uh, good friends challenging me on an area of doctrine that I that made sense to me, but he said, you have to support that area of doctrine with what Scripture actually says. And uh, and I couldn't. And I thought, wow, I didn't realize that, that I was, in, in that context, believing something incorrect. And it, some people would say, oh, it was a subtle thing. It was a minor thing. But I think, no, I, my friend actually did a favor for me. The Holy Spirit spoke through him uh, to, to confirm truth to my heart. And I remember in hearing his sincerity, the, the Spirit of God testifying within me that what I was hearing from him was true and that my assumptions were wrong. So I had a moment of internal witness taking place there and external witness from a trusted friend who was walking with the Lord. And then I followed it up with what, with looking at what the Scripture actually said and then confirmed, okay, what was just shared with me was actually true. So I don't know if that directly answers your question, but I, I know that that's, that's another example that I can think of where uh, the Spirit of God, um, you know, where the, where the Scriptures and another person in my life helped clarify whether something was just a matter of intuition or whether this was actually the, the Spirit of God speaking. Um, yeah, Don, go ahead, add to that. Uh, I want to give, so I don't forget and add to that as far as how I know that it is the Holy Spirit and not uh, intuition or uh, instinct is when it goes counter 
to what my flesh wants or what I understand to be like when I, when I and my humanness say, Oh, I can't do this, but then it becomes a reality. I know it's the spirit of God because it wasn't me doing it. I would be doing it. If not differently, the opposite way, but, uh, to the first question you asked of, uh, knowing about the indwelling of the Holy spirit for me, that was the beginning of, my relationship, my real relationship with God, I was, you know, the spirit drew me to it. I'm thinking of the passage of when uh, Jesus asked Peter, but who do you say I am? And he said, you're the son of God. He said, it didn't come from you. So for me, the, the evidence of the indwelling of the spirit is the fact that, you know, now I'm seeking after God when I wasn't seeking after God before on my own, the spirit of God brought me to the you know to brought me to Jesus and uh, so I just uh, part of that is the beginning for me. In other words, it began with the Holy Spirit. And I love what you said. Anytime I'm in the Bible, I think about the fact that the same Spirit that inspired them to write what I'm reading is there within me to translate for me what that means for me uh, on uh, July twentieth. 2021 on what to be doing with what I'm reading. And that's the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. That's the spirit that came on Jesus when he started his ministry. So I think that example would kind of be for me, my ministry started my walk with God and working with the Lord. That's how I got my uh, marching orders came from the Holy spirit. So it kind of started with that as opposed to me, like getting relating to it later and things of that nature. I really love all the stuff about the life uh, with the scripture that you were just talking about, what makes me think about in our flesh, we're dead in our transgression, so that the only life we have comes through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that's a, all the good stuff is the Holy Spirit. All the stuff that's not so good, that would be me, and that would be my flesh, and that's how I can tell the difference pretty easily. Your your words remind me too, and Hannah, I want to make sure that we answered your question and see if you want to follow up on this a little bit more too. Uh, but what what you were just saying there, Don, um, re- reminds me of the contrast we're given in Galatians five. So you're saying that one of the things that the Spirit of God does, he he, um, you know, he helps you clarify whether something's coming from your old nature, so from your flesh or whether something's coming from him. So in Galatians 5, that's the portion of Scripture that most people think of as being where the fruit of the Spirit is listed, right? And that's correct, you know? So I see, I always joke about this, but sometimes I see in a lot of people's homes decorations with quotes from Galatians 5. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But I never hear the beginning portion of Galatians 5 quoted <laughs> or um or you know used in any home art or anything like that and in the beginning portion there it lists all the things that come from the flesh so even before it gets to the the work of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit it lists all the things that come from our flesh and it's not a very pretty list <laughs> it's a very ugly list it's the type of list that when i have to preach on that passage i almost feel like blushing because the apostle paul is very descriptive in uh in the verses that come before that and so that might be a uh a, a good way you know when we're talking about differentiating between intuition and the work of the spirit 
um, you know, we, we want to wrestle with, okay, does this in some way appeal to my old nature or my new nature? You know, is this gratifying the old nature or the new nature? I think that there's, that that's, you know, maybe a a good application of Galatians five, but Hannah, I want to kind of come back to you here and and see, do you have any additional thoughts on that? Or um, did we get at what you're asking or do you still have additional questions related to that? Um, yeah, I think that was helpful. I'm, I mean, uh, you've probably, you, you know, we, I think we talked about the Myers-Briggs before and sometimes I know things that I d- that other people don't know. And so where's the, you know, how, how much of it is a spiritual gift and how much of it is just a, a natural talent or something strong, like strong in the intuitions aspect of, of the personality type. Well, um, I think that's, I think, you know, the Holy Spirit, one of the things that he does sometimes is give us the spirit of discernment and intuition. And, and so, you know, that could be even a gifting that he, you know, is working on in you. And I think that's just a matter of, you know, like the prayer of a sensitive heart, Lord, help me to be sensitive to what is distinctly from you and, and help me to see the difference between you know, something that's from you as opposed to something that's from my flesh, how, you know, help me to be sensitive to that. And, and in some ways those things are so, um, you know, they're not, they're not tangible. So it's not like, you know, you lay it on the table and you can see the difference. So I think that's one of those things that we, you know, we do just have to surrender, you know, where we surrender our thoughts to the Lord, we're, we're asking him to help us to know, you know, his way and, you know, and what he wants and, and just asking him to, to clarify that for us. I I think I just had another thought too. I, I thanks for sharing that Andrea. And I had a, my other thought on this too, kind of centers around the will of God. And um, so when we're trying to be discerning people related to the will of God, related to, you know, like uh, as Hannah used that example, just kind of like figuring a situation out or people out or having kind of an intuition or a wisdom related to something like that. One of the things that I've noticed is that those who are walking in the very obvious moral will of God tend to have a deeper understanding of the sovereign will of God. So what I mean by that is if if, um, you know, if, if I'm trying to understand God's will for my life, but yet I'm very, uh, but I'm constantly provoking my children to anger and I'm constantly being dismissive or rude to my wife. Do you think I'm going to do, like, do you think I'm going to be understanding the will of God very clearly while I'm inviting, you know, that kind of wickedness into my day-to-day life? Or do you think that that would hinder me understanding the will of God? Right. And by the way, you know, my wife's here on the call, so she could testify my being, <laughs> if I'm being insensitive, call me out. Um, but yeah, well, you did. All right. She, she left her mic muted, so I guess I'm okay. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but that's one thing I've noticed, you know, so, I'll, you know, I'll testify in my own life. When I feel like I'm walking closely with the Lord, when I'm trying to listen to him on the very obvious things, like, I, obviously, he doesn't want me to use coarse language, right? Obviously, the Lord doesn't want me to invite unhealthy addictions into my body, into my life, into my mind. Obviously, the Lord doesn't want me to be unloving toward people, 
right? So if I'm listening to the Lord about the very obvious things related to his moral will, sometimes some of those fine those finer details where they require additional discernment, if your whole life is being spent saying yes to God and not ignoring the voice of God, I think that he makes you more adept at hearing his voice and hearing his counsel. And I think that that might be part of our sanctification, just this idea of growing in holiness over time as our faith matures. So that would be maybe another thought that I would chip in related to this subject. I think it's a really good, and it was, and you can see there's a reason why I asked this first tonight. And I'm glad you guys made this conversation interesting because I think that this is a real applicable piece that comes from this passage. And it's very clear that John wants us to understand that we have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit testifying to the truth. That's a unique privilege that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ, and the world does not share that privilege. You have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, and he makes it clear that the only way you will have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit pointing you to truth internally is through faith in Jesus. This world does not have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit because this world rejects Jesus. Now, Scripture also tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts people externally, right? He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, we're told. So there's external conviction from the Holy Spirit, but you and I have internal conviction from the Holy Spirit. So he's not externally just doing things that impact us. We have the added benefit of him living within us, giving us counsel, giving us wisdom, pointing us in, in you know in important directions. And I think John was trying to make it clear to us that that's a benefit that we experience as believers in Christ. Can I ask a, a related question that, that ties right in with what the Scripture uh, was talking about there? You recall as uh, the Scripture was talking about the testimony of God being greater than the testimony of man? So it talked about the fact that the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of man. And I, I'd be curious what you guys think. Why, do, why does it seem like most humanity trusts the testimony of men over the testimony of God? Because the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of man, but mankind tends to trust the testimony of mankind. So why do we do that? What is it about us that seems to facilitate that? What do you think, Hannah? Um, I think it's just the struggle for power and um we just, we want to trust ourselves in our own strength. And um, I, I can see that being played out. I mean, throughout history, um, even, even Eve's decision to want desire knowledge. This is true. And um, I mean, the feminism is totally a desire for power. And, and I think that all of that is um, the desire to have control over, everything that 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 influences your life because you want to uh, so um, let me just back up and refer relate that all to your uh your question and i think that um that that uh testimony is another way of like truth seeking mm-hmm. seeking what what is what is true and and we want to be able to define what what truth is yeah we it's it's almost like we're jealous of god's role you know, we, we want to do his job for him, <laughs> you know, when, and when you, when you look at, um, I mean, you just look at culture, what, what, what's, 
what's the uh, what's the dominant belief that seems to govern culture? Wouldn't you say it's some form of humanism in one way or another, where we're basically trying to elevate ourselves to be God? So domineering men, they do it. Uh, as you're talking about, like feminism, like the tenets of of feminism, you know, would, would like any time you'd, you'd have one group of people saying, "I'm better than you," and "I'm better than you," or "I don't need to listen to to any outside counsel or anything like that." It's just all of us basically puffing ourselves up and saying. Uh, I listen to me. <laughs> I listen to me. And uh, I listen to my own testimony. I don't need it. I don't need a God to give me direction. I don't, I'll, I'll be my own God. And in fact, that's, that's been history's, humanity's big struggle throughout history. We our, our attempt to be our own God. And so we do that even when it comes to the testimony of man. You know, I mean, even just think about it too, uh, you know, over the course of our, our, our lives, I mean, how much time are we spending filling our minds and filling our lives with the testimony of man and how little do we spend time filling our mind filling our lives with the testimony of god you know i i even think about this as a as a pastor i think you know what can i and i think about this as a parent too i think what can i do to encourage my church what can i do to encourage my own children to spend more time filling their hearts and filling their minds with things that point them toward christ instead of filling their hearts and filling their minds with things that try to drag them away from Christ, or even, you know, in a man-centered direction where we try and elevate humanity over the testimony of God. Any other thoughts on, um, you know, humanity's struggle to kind of, you know, to value the testimony of man over the testimony of God? What do you think, Ian? I think that if you went to any random person and asked them if pride was a virtue, they would probably say yes which is the exact opposite of the truth and uh in order to hear god we have to be able to recognize uh, that we are weak and uh sinful and most of humanity does not want to do that it's an uncomfortable truth and uh we uh, big you know, as we've probably said before the gospel is offensive to people and that's why it's, it's important uh, christ's message was repent yeah. um and so in order to listen to him, we have to make that realization about ourselves. And most people are not willing to do that. Yeah. It's, we don't want to be told that there's a problem. (laughs) We don't, we don't even want to admit that to ourselves because, but you have to admit that there's a problem before you're ever going to seek the solution. Right. (laughs) You know, if you, if you go through your entire life thinking, I'm fine. It's like, all right, you go go to your grave believing a lie. You're not fine. You need help. You you need the intervention of your Creator. He came to this earth to rescue you because you were you were you weren't just not fine. You were dead. You, scripture says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And he looked at you and he said, "You're you know you're you're the walking dead. You know you're the you're de- you you're walking around thinking you're alive and you're not. You're 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 dead in your trespasses and sin. And Christ came to rescue us." But that's a testimony that many people struggle to actually accept. Yeah, Andrea, go. I was just thinking, you know, so we we know that the testimony of God does not change is and is completely, ultimately, permanently true. And I wonder if there's something in us, even as humans, that we don't necessarily want that. You know, we we want it to be able to change in case our minds change or in case our circumstances change or in case what I want changes. And so to accept the testimony of God is to, you know, to to declare an absolute truth. And in some ways, 
that makes us beholden to him. And so we, we, we don't want that. We want it to, we want the power to still be able to, um, to alter it. I mean, we even look in society of what's acceptable and how, you know, we're living in an age where we in our own culture can see what is acceptable has changed a lot in the last couple of years. Um, and, and so, you know, like if you accept the testimony of God that does not change, that does it doesn't work and so yeah. i think that's you know we don't we don't want to um we don't want to give that power over to him even though you know we know that he has it regardless of whether we give it over to him yeah yeah no exactly i think you're right i i think sometimes we look at things and we're like yeah you know what this, this seems uh all, all well and good but you know what it'd be better my idea you know what you know what i would feel like um you know some variety here let's let's switch this all up and um, and I, I think people culturally almost treat that like a virtue. If we believe something different than the generations that came before us, we it's actually, I think, an outcropping of evolutionary thought. Uh, because if you if you're under the premise, if you're under the belief that things are improving on their own. And not what Scripture says. Scripture says that creation is in bondage to decay, right? So Scripture tells you one thing: it's decaying, and uh, and you know humanism and evolutionary thought is like, oh no, it's improving, it's getting better. And I think that that factors not just into our understanding of fossils and our understanding of of uh, you know genetic codes and stuff like that. I think it also factors into belief systems. And we think, oh, look at I, I'm so much more evolved. I'm so much more enlightened than uh, my uh, great grandparents who believed this archaic information. What do you think, Don? I just getting uh, getting into some isms. I think three isms that are rampant are individualism, materialism, and hedonism. The you know individual. It's like whatever our group is, and and I think and uh, Hannah made reference to that with feminism, but like, there's all the isms, but uh, the individualism, like God, there are many different ways to God and all of that kind of, and I think hedonism is just like, if it feels good, do it. And so those isms, I think is why we want to believe in, uh, in human rather than the God stuff. And, and I think absolutely right. It doesn't, it doesn't change. Yeah. I want things to change for me. You know, I want the dawn price, you know, I, so uh, I think those isms are really what keep us uh, more concentrated on the on the testimony of man. We see it constantly bombarded on billboards and commercials. And um, yeah, go ahead, Hannah. I just I, I'm just wondering about you know uh, this time is a time where people feel very alienated, and part of that I wonder if is is just we were not meant to to have to we're we're trying to get into a position of of power that that we just shouldn't have yeah and it and it causes us to it's almost like we forsake community as we do so right you know to be an individualist you're i mean yeah. And, and I even think too, you know, this, this factors into the church too. You know, it's kind of interesting to me, um, you know, when, um, when things shut down, you know, I guess almost a year and a half ago now, I, I, you know, for a couple months, our church didn't meet in person. 
And uh, I know after a couple months of that, I, I, I thought like, this is just so I can't take this anymore. Like this is, I'm going out of my mind. I don't know, you know, who we'll see, who we won't see, but I just felt like I, I, I was, I became so aware of how much I need other believers in my day-to-day life through that time. So that was definitely a a healthy um, aspect to come out of that. It was a very, very powerful reminder to me of how we are not meant to be alone. But it also is very interesting to me uh, how, you know, it's a year and a half later and there are some people who have not yet uh, made that part of their life again. You know, it was part of their life a year and a half ago and it's not any longer. And I think to myself, you know, does it not trouble your faith to to not be around other people when when the Lord has designed us to live in community with one another? I mean, are, where are you finding community? Where are you finding Christ-centered community? Who are you worshiping with? Is this not a part of your life anymore? Is this not something that you're introducing to your children anymore? Is this just like, is this just old news to you at this point? I, I, you know, I look at that and I think we're not designed. I mean, God by nature lives in perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he created us in his image. And even these gatherings like this, as we're doing this, yeah, we're doing this digitally, but it is a form of community and we're speaking into each other's lives and we're carving out time. You know, we could be watching TV right now. We could be doing anything under the sun, but yet what we're doing, we're, we're sitting down carving out time to speak into each other's lives and study the word together and the Lord's designed us to do this. It's got a it's got a refining capacity to it, and uh, it points us toward Him. It, it it helps us to develop holiness in our day to day living, and uh, I think it matters. And yeah, individualism definitely chips away at our opportunity to grow spiritually. Can I can I uh, reference one more thing? We're a few minutes over, but you know, technically we started a few minutes late, so we'll go a few minutes over. But this will be our final question for tonight. Um, you, you have the Apostle John in that section that we just looked at. He was talking about if you have the Son, you have life. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life, right? He makes it very clear when you look at verse 12. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And so I'd be curious if uh, maybe a few of us could share some ideas here, some thoughts just from our own experience. But how are you attempting to make your faith in Jesus evident to others? How are you attempting to show others that you have life through Jesus as they look at you living that life? You know, what what do others get the chance to see? Yeah, Renee. Uh, love and happiness, just to bring joy to them and show that just because you're different than me doesn't mean I don't love you. I like that. There's been a lot of times that I've been criticized because they expect me to be judgmental of them mm-hmm. and I'm not. And then they're like, wait, I I thought that's <laughs> what you guys do as Christians. I'm like, no, that's the opposite. That's not how it really do. works. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sorry. Sorry that I had to burst your stereotype there. I, I really don't feel like doing that. I, you know, I, I have to say it, that's what it's edifying to hear that from you. That's something that I hear uh, from time to time too, which always makes me happy every time I hear it when somebody expects one thing and then they get another and they're like, wait, I believe totally different things than you. I have a lifestyle that's very different from yours. Why, why are you uh, not, 
you know, fitting the narrative of what I thought you're supposed to do. It's like, actually, look at what Scripture says. I'm not supposed to treat you arrogantly. Scripture tells me I'm supposed to treat you gently and with respect. It's like, you know, and even when you look at Jesus, the people that he um, was really, really harsh with, who was he really harsh with? It was the people that thought they were perfect. (laughs) You know, those were the ones that got an earful. The people that, uh, you know, were duped into believing the this world's lies, you see Jesus show them a lot of compassion so that they would understand, um, you know what, you're not going to find life through the things of this world, but you'll find life, you'll find peace through Jesus. And um, yeah, I, I, I know the way we treat others definitely testifies powerfully to the change that Christ is, has brought forth in our life. I don't have to agree with you to like you, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and in fact, you know, what does Scripture tell us Christ did for us? Scripture says we were his enemies. That's how it describes us. We were his enemies. He came to rescue his enemies. He showed love to his enemies. And so if Christ did that for me when I was living as his enemy, I certainly, and as Renee testified there, we certainly can do that for those that the Lord's placed in our life and, in fact, should do it best because we're trying to do it with his power. Um, some other ways that you that you're able to show people um, the the life that you have through Christ. Is there a way you're trying to make it evident? Yeah, well, I think um, once you have kids, uh, you get a very very clear um, idea of how every little thing you do is picked up. Uh, they're little sponges, so I've become extremely cogent of. Uh, my actions lately because I see my, my children just replicating them. So I I have to, uh, I've I've really been focused on trying to, um, show them, uh, the importance of, uh, of Christ and of God's love and, uh, of studying the word, uh, just through example. Nice. I like that. Yeah, that's true. You're being copied. You got two little copycats in your house. (laughs) Awesome. Any, any other ways that you're trying to just make that new life you have through Christ evident? Anyone else want to chime in on that? I think the way we respond in difficult or complicated situations, if we can demonstrate that we have, um, you know, the Bible refers to it as peace that passes understanding. In other words, like the, that we demonstrate that we have a, a trust that, that God is in control, that he is, his way is best. You know, when we can, demonstrate that peace in attitude that that strikes people as odd um, and is a way to to demonstrate our faith yeah absolutely i something similar to that that i was thinking of is um even the way we grieve which is very similar to what you were just saying but i was just thinking about this my wife and i were at a funeral um just a little over a week ago and uh, even the way believers grieve, you could see that in the context there, we, you know, we were grieving for, um, you know, someone that that we very much loved, but we were grieving with hope in the sense that we know where she is. We know that she's with the Lord. We know she loved Jesus and her life testified to that fact. And so, yeah, we miss having you around, but we grieve differently when we know that there will be a reunion and there are better things ahead for those who love Jesus. And so, yeah, all sorts of opportunities. It looks like the Lord gives us to testify to that new life that we have through him. So that's wonderful. 
Well, thank you guys for uh, being willing to be part of our call tonight. Thanks for letting me borrow a few extra minutes here on the tail end, but I was enjoying our discussion. So hopefully those that are listening via the podcast stuck with us to the end and enjoyed the discussion as well. And uh, this is the our final Bible study for the summer months here. So thank you to those of us that have been joining in. And if you're on the email list, so I'll say this to those of you that are live on the call here, and uh, those of you listening via the podcast, just make sure you're on the email list at desirejesus.com if you're not already on it, because any sort of update or anything new we add, uh, we'll make sure to to actually put that out via the update. Uh, and I'll give you a kind of a sneak peek at, at my thinking. I've been exploring a variety of things that we might be able to do that would help um, actually share the scriptures with even more people. I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that it would be effective. So I'm exploring a few things here, and maybe maybe we'll come back to this format in the fall, or maybe we're, we'll uh, adjust this slightly and see what else we can do to help as many people as as possible have the opportunity to hear the gospel. So be praying for those decisions and and uh, keep. Keep your eyes peeled to your email, because as new things come about, new opportunities, we'll make sure that they're included in there. So thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. It was awesome to have you here. Thanks for being part of our study. And uh, Hannah, I know that your summer is quickly coming to an end because your schedule is a little different in in Hawaii. I know you see the, the tears there. But remember, we grieve differently, Hannah. So that's, <laughs> uh, I don't know if that applies to summer schedules. All right. So we'll, you can grieve however you want. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Hannah in Hawaii, they go back to school in like two weeks, she said. So um, those of you here on the East Coast, enjoy the rest of your summer. And we look forward to getting together again as soon as the Lord wills. Have a great one, everybody. See you guys. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.